Good morning, Bridgeway. Uh, it truly is a pleasure uh, to come this morning and to bring God's word to you. Um, I'm finding it hard to stand in this place and to look out and to see only two friendly and familiar faces. Um, so I'm going to imagine you all sitting there, looking and listening, I hope. And I'm going to invite you this morning uh, to bring God's word to your own hearts and minds. Um, I'm going to read for you from Psalm 77 before I begin. Um, and if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, I would encourage you to do that. This is a reading from the NRSV version. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on all your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your mighty among the people. With you and your strong arm, you have redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit, lit up the world. And the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. 
and Aaron. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Titling sermons sometimes is a little bit hard. And and you can get a really creative idea. And this week, I struggled to name my sermon. And then I was inspired by a children's book, also turned into a movie. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. So today my sermon is titled, Finding God in the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Moments. As I begin, I, I know I'm going to make some assumptions that most of you listening have found yourselves at one time or another in a place of distressing despair, that you've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, moment, or season at some point in your life that you have experienced emotional turmoil. Now during this despair, you may have perhaps wailed or pleaded for God to intervene in your pain. Perhaps you laid awake and felt as if your only companion was your sorrow and grief. You may have even cycled through a plethora of emotions like angst, anger, fear, sadness, denial, or bitterness. Have you ever resorted to ultimatums or negotiations? Or maybe you are the desperate, exasperated sire. Are you the sullen and silent wallower? No matter how you experience distress and troubles, be comforted because we all can have them. I'm also going to assume that many of you have felt shame for feeling stuck in these emotions, that somehow you haven't been able to resolve your own troubles, that you can't seem to snap out of it, feeling as if, as a Christian, you shouldn't struggle. You shouldn't have such raw emotions like despair. You may even feel added worry that somehow you're not a good enough Christian because you're depressed or despairing. Because somehow you should be happy all the time. That there should be nothing but joy and permagrin. One of my favorite courses is written by an author named Robin Mark. And I want to share just a few words from his song. It says, he lowers us to raise us so we can sing his praises, whatever is his way, 
all is well. I am weak and poor, so I can trust him more. Whatever is his way, all is well. You're not alone as a Christian who struggled through turmoil and strife. And it doesn't make you a bad Christian or a not so good Christian or a not good enough Christian. But we all want God's clarion affirming voice or presence to be the ointment for our wounds. And sometimes in emotions and turmoil and despair, we feel like something's missing and that God is nowhere to be found. The psalmist of Psalm 77 initiates his song with the sharing of this very real and raw emotional distress and turmoil. He's experiencing one of those terrible, horrible, no good, very, very bad moments and seasons. He is distressed because he has been exiled. You can imagine him sitting with others, crying on the banks of the Euphrates, lost and destitute, and yet having full understanding that he is a member of the called people of Yahweh. And yet he feels forsaken and abandoned, as if God is nowhere to be found. Life's outlook is bleak. Hope seems an impossibility let alone resolution to the cause of his distress. Certainly, these types of feelings rear their head in other times and seasons of life beyond being exiled. So I don't want you to discount today the usefulness and the perspective that can be gained from this psalmist experience for other life experiences. So let's look to that text and how our songwriter approaches their feelings of despair. Verse 1 begins with a repetition of a Hebrew phrase, and you're going to have to pardon my pronunciation because I am not a Hebrew major. Koal Elohim, meaning my voice unto God. Koal Elohim. Like every good author, the psalmist's repetition of the phrase adds emphasis and informs the audience of the true gravity of his distress. We also see through that statement a clear acknowledgement of God. The psalmist he understands of God's ability to save. That's why he calls to him. 
I am troubled, however, by how he laments as we continue through to the end of verse 3. Listen to how it sounds. I cry aloud to God that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. Do you hear the sense of self-reliance or egocentric mindset? You see, while the psalmist is seemingly seeking God to resolve their trouble, the flavor is that of working or praying harder or better, investing more of oneself in order for God to respond or that God will respond the way you as the requester want or expect. How often we fall into this trap where we feel as if by the way of our very own righteous methods and practices that we can achieve spiritual resolution for our troubles. Uh, wrong. Scott so very clearly shared a few weeks back the following statement that the everlasting ruins of our lives are only solved by the redemption of Christ. The everlasting ruins of our lives are only solved by the redemption of Christ, who is part of a triune God. Our life ruins will not be solved by our own efforts or fortitude of ourselves. Perhaps not surprisingly, the psalmist's desperation doesn't stop there. Verse 4 describes the author's depression, the inability to sleep, not being able to find the words, and even resorting to silence, knowing only the company of their own heart and a searching of their own spirit for answers. And then, in verse 7, comes the next stage of their desperation, which I like to call questioning and catastrophizing. Pay attention to the use in verses 7 to 9 of these enduring and eternal words. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again? Be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has he forgotten to be gracious? 
Is he so angry that he can no longer show compassion? Why has the Lord Most High changed? What happened to all of his fundamental character that I learned in Sunday school? He is a God of love. His promises are supposed to endure forever. He is gracious to save. Compassionate. This is a pivotal point for the psalmist. Walter Brueggemann puts it this way in his book, Remember You Are Dust. He says it is a moment of deciding to live in a world where the most high changes or to retreat back into a world where the least high keeps us at the center of things. We, as believers, we will face horrible, terrible, no good, very, very bad days. And when it is tough to have faith, it does seem impossible to find God in the chaos and the mess and the mire of it all. And we will try to do it in our own strength. And we will become more depressed and more desperate. We may doubt or have catastrophizing tantrums. But it is here that we must choose to walk through trials confident that our God is in control. Regardless of whether or not we can identify his work, we need to trust. Or we continue to spiral in doubt and despair, trying to do things in our own strength because it's there that we feel as if we have control. Clinton McCann writes a call to believers that I think is really powerful and a great challenge for all of us. He says, In every age, the people of God are called to proclaim and to embody the reign of God in the midst of circumstances that make it appear that God does not reign. But what does that mean? Well, friends, it means that God is a free God. He acts outside of ourselves. He is not just a God for the resolution of our problems. He is not to be reduced or conformed to my needs or my expectations. No, that is much too narrow a view of our God. 
we need to have a bigger picture. We need to call to mind the deeds of the Lord, to remember the wonders of old, to meditate on God's handiwork. Let us muse on his mighty deeds. Let us acknowledge that God is holy. Our God is supreme. Our God is great. And if we truly believe this, then he is sovereign. And he will be present among his people just how he sees fit to be present among his people. It is here at the psalmist's acknowledgement of God's holiness and supremacy that we also see a shift from his egocentricities to a God-centering. A shift from me to thee, if you will. Once we refocus our vision of God from narrow and minimizing to the reality of his holiness, of his awesomeness, and the freedom to do what God does, our problems look so different. They may not be instantly solved. We may continue to struggle and experience challenges, but our view of everything is recontextualized. This mind-blowing realization allows us to remember God's activity just as the psalmist recalls the great Exodus escape. You know the one where pe the people of God are trapped between a rock and a hard place. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I mean the Red Sea and the hard-hearted army of Pharaoh. In the final verses of this song, the psalmist regales the power, the majesty, the glory of God's works. Hear these victorious Lyrics, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world. The earth shook. Your way was through the sea. Do we really think that the people of God at that time expected God to make a way through the water? I don't think so. The psalmist continues, Your path 
through the mighty waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God's way is not always clear. It may not be what you expect. It may be unpredictable. It may, in fact, be unfathomable. But this affirms another of God's great characteristics. That he is a God of true mystery. And he is great. But even with great faith, moments of despair will enter into our lives. And in the midst of that, we have an opportunity to remember the acts of God in ages past or our own past experiences of God's salvific activity. And we can trust in and rely on his way. For his way is holy and his footprints unseen. Now, I, I want to do a little bit of a activity. So you all need a piece of paper and a writing implement. And this is the wonderful thing about having the sermon via video. And that is that you can put me on pause. You can go and get what you need and return. And then I'll continue. And it'll be as if I didn't even stop. So go ahead, put me on pause, I don't mind, and go and get a piece of paper and a writing implement. And once you're back with paper and pen in hand, I want you to print in all caps the following letters all together as one word. Paper and pens ready. Here we go. G-O-D-I. S-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Starting from the beginning, just to make sure you got it all and got it right. G O D I S N O W H E R E. Now look at it. Think about it. What do you see? The despairing, self sufficient perspective of these letters can be coined as God is nowhere. But when we refocus with an openness to God's sovereign and holy way, we can obviously see that God is now here, seen or unseen. Let us pray. Father God, you are the holy of holies. 
You are a God of wonder and of great mystery. I pray this morning that you would help us to proclaim and embody your reign in the midst of chaos and circumstances that make it appear as if you do not reign. Hold us fast to your way, trusting your path through the mighty waters. Give us godly vision and perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.